You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Graham Reed. Graham is a former Australian field hockey player that was part of the team that won the silver medal at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona and gold at the 1990 World Cup. He became head coach of the Australian national team in 2012 and led them to the Champions Trophy, the Oceania Cup, a Commonwealth Games gold medal and the World League final. Then in 2019, he became head coach of the Indian national team and led them to the bronze medal at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, breaking the team's 41-year drought without a men's hockey medal. Graham is that rare type of leader who has had success both in the corporate and sporting worlds. He brings a sense of perspective and long-held wisdom to his leadership that helps his team focus on the activities that make a difference. He is also humble and global in his outlook. And in this terrific interview, some of the things that stayed with me afterwards were the importance of having a positive emotional bank balance with your team so that you can challenge them when required importance of focusing on the next task in front of you and not getting caught overthinking. His description of productive paranoia, fanatical discipline 
and empirical creativity and how he uses them in his coaching philosophy and how good leaders need to be brave and trust their judgments. I chased Graham for over a year to get this interview and I'm very happy that I did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And now, please enjoy our interview with Graham Reed. The Great Coaches Podcast. Graham Reed, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning. Thanks very much for having us, Paul. Great to be here. Finally, we've been chasing each other around the world for the last year or so, I think it's been. So it's great to finally uh, get here. Well, it was before the Olympics. And of course, we're going to get on to what happened at the Olympics for you as we get into the interview. But Graham, something really simple to kick us off. Where are you in the world today? What have you been up to so far? We live in, in Bangalore inside the Sports Authority of India complex. It's a bit like the AIS in Canberra. It's in India and we spend our, our life in here when we're not travelling and playing around the world and that's where we are. We're actually just about ready to leave for Europe. We've got pro league games coming up in Belgium and in Holland and we also have uh, Hockey Fives, which is a, an exciting new concept for the sport of hockey. So we've got some things on and Sunday, so it's a little bit of a, of a relaxing time. Well, thank you for taking your Sunday out to come and talk to us about all things hockey. And I might start actually by name checking one of the all-time greats, I think, in any sport, which is Rick Charlesworth. You were coached by him and you've had a long association with him. And I'm sure you've met other great coaches on your journey along as well. So I'd like to start by asking you, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? It's always an interesting question, and I think the answers are about as varied as you'd expect. I think, and again, this isn't only necessarily Rick, but he probably ticks most of the boxes. But for me, it's constantly thinking about the game and how do we make things better. I think that's one thing that I think that they do well. I think they have a clear picture of how they want their team to play, the behaviours they want to see on and off the pitch. I think off the pitch is just as important, and the old adage... But behaviours that, that you get are the ones that you are prepared to let go. And I think that discipline of being able to make sure that if you spot something you don't, then, then you need to, to pull it up and change it. And that's, I think, what they do well. I think good coaches or great coaches understand the environment that they're in and whether that be in a foreign country, it might be your team is in a different space to where another team might be. In other words, you might have a very, very experienced team and therefore you need to be a different type of coach. And I think they do it very well. They have an innate sense of picking that up. One of the other ones is that they also have a good sense of their limitations. I think they surround themselves with people who complement them, if you like. That's probably some of the main ones. There are, of course, a million others probably. But they're very intense as well. That's probably something else that are very intense. And sometimes that intensity is a real focus, I think. Maybe that's the word rather than in intensity. It's that ability to have micro-focus on what they're currently doing. Graeme, you were a successful player in your own right. And after retiring... You built a business career. I'm just wondering how that experience went on to shape your coaching philosophy. 
Yeah, it is interesting. Having had that business background, it does, people always say that businesses can learn a lot from sport. And of course, I also think sport can learn a lot from business. And so I think after having been in business for 20 years almost, before I came back to full-time coaching or before I became a full-time coach, we had a business coach actually, and we would read a book a week. And some of the authors I really like is someone called Jim Collins. He has a good to great. And then the one that I really love is a great by choice. He has sort of three principles that he talks about. One is productive paranoia, there's fanatic discipline, and then there's empirical creativity. And they're the sort of three things that for me, I really like. It encompasses all the things that you need as a coach. You need to be paranoid about the opposition and about what's coming up and what's not there and the things that that you need to do. You need that fanatic discipline to be able to apply it, of course, to all your training sessions, to your games and what have you. I could speak for hours on it. And then that last one is empirical creativity, but you need facts-based. You need some empirical evidence behind it. And then in that book, he talks a lot about firing bullets and then seeing how they go. And, And a bullet is just trying something, something that's pretty low cost. It's not going to sink the boat, but it may work and it may. But once you find something that you work, he then says you fire cannonballs after that. Yeah, it's a great book anyway, but I've sort of used it as a, applying it to all the, all the areas of my coaching and it's been quite a good little base, if you like. Things like Bill Gates, success is a lousy picture. What's the quote? Something it seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. And I think that's what we do often as coaches. If you're successful, you try to make sure that you learn from the success as much as you do from a loss, but it's still harder, you know? It's still that success because you don't want to change too much for the risk that you may uh, start that you're not going to keep winning. So there's also another book that I talk about a lot is, is Changing Your Questions Change Your Life. Change Your Questions Change Your Life, I think it's called. And it basically talks about what we tend to do as people in general is we judge. And I see it all the time in our players. We're judging and we're not learning. And, if, and, it, and it talks about it in that is change the questions that you're asking because you're probably judging rather than trying to find out the real answer behind it. Those sort of things are interesting. There, of course, critical conversations, and I'm not sure that's necessarily a business. That's something else that, that I think in this day and age, coaches really need to be able to have critical conversations with everybody, you know, through your coaching staff, through the players and everything else. And, and so that's a really good book to understand the best way to approach those sort of conversations, the difficult ones. Critical conversations, I think, are defined as being the ones that you disagree on. They mean a lot to both of you and they're critical in the, in the, in the future of, of what you're trying to achieve. So that's some of the things that I, that I have brought back from business. Our coach actually had this concept of five ways of making your business better and there were things like leads and conversion rates and number of transactions, profit margins. And his concept was pretty simple. If you improve just small percentages, 1%, 2% of each of those five ways, then they multiply all out into a huge profit, a, a much bigger profit, if you like. And so, you know, I think you can bring that in, 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 you know, and so things like the number of times you get into the opposition's 50, you then convert it to 25 penetrations and then into circle penetrations and then into goal shots and, and then breaking it down into things like that so that you, you don't need such a huge change. You can just increase how many times you're getting in to the 25, how many times you're getting into the circle and what are the things that you need to be able to do that. 
you know, I want to take that experience you've had in business mm-hmm. and I want to add it to your playing career because it was it was a pretty successful one, an Olympic silver medal, nine champions trophies. Now as a coach, you've got a Commonwealth gold, two champions trophies, a World Cup, a World League title, and of course, and a bronze Olympic medal. So if I put all of this experience together with your business knowledge, what has this taught you about the human spirit? You got some good good questions there, Paul. I always think that the problem with success is whether it's a problem or what. It's rarely ever just one thing. It's it's always a series of things that are done over and over and fixed and changed and done better again and done over and over. And, and so, therefore, it's very hard to nail down what things make that up. And I'm not sure what that has to do with human spirit. But for me, the thing that I have learned the most since I started coaching is that I believe that everybody can be a great player when they've gotten to the level of where I've been coaching. And I think the thing that holds us back is the openness and the having that open. And I think it, it's quite a common thing these days to talk about open mindset and fixed mindset. And I think whenever I find a player who who seems to have plateaued or is going through a point where you're going, well, he's missing out on teams. We're not quite sure why. And almost always it'll be because they've closed their mind about getting about particular areas of life it can be, but also, but certainly when you're talking about coaching sport, that they have lost that ability. They get into the space of, I already know that. Oh, yeah, I know. I know about that type of... And I think when I look at the players who keep on you know, going and, and you've only got to look at, at Jamie Dwyer, for example, someone who just continually wants to get better and, and learn. And I remember being on a plane going to Rio. It was going to be his last tour and he's still saying... So, coach, what do I need to improve on? What what do I need to work on during the during the Olympics? So those sort of things, which are great. So I think another part that I've discovered since I've lived in India, but I think everybody, the big catchphrase at the moment around is resilience and trying to build people's resilience, and that's across the board. My belief is that I think everybody has resilience. It's just a matter in which particular part of your life or which particular part of that part of your life you have it. Everyone's been kicked around or had things happen to them. and But resilience, they often talk about, for me, is about being able to have a look at what you have done over your life and change it and actually then apply it to what you're currently doing. So I'll give you a quick example. The guys in, 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 in the Indian team, a lot of them have, have come from backgrounds which are so incredibly great stories, but they haven't necessarily applied that same resilience, if you like, that they've had to prove to hockey or to sport or to high-performance sport. I'm not sure I'm explaining it that well, but the fact of, I think, resilience everyone has, it's a matter of applying it to your what you need it in that particular moment in time. Graham, let's talk about that Indian team, actually, and and possibly even a little bit about resilience, because you were appointed in 2019, and I was very intrigued to read about one of the first things you did was to get the players to share their personal journeys in short videos. Could you tell us about this and what the objective of the exercise was? What were you trying to uncover? Yeah, to be honest, it started, well, a bit like your podcast. It started, to be honest, during COVID. We had a little bit bit of extra time. We weren't allowed to leave leave this place where we were sort of locked in. I thought, well, let's use this because I, I didn't know them very well, of course. I'd only just started. And so I really wanted to get to know the players. For me, 
I sort of knew, uh, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, to be honest, is get people to tell their stories about how they've come to where they have. And everyone has a different story of things like jumping over the, the fence to get onto the pitch, those type of stories that we all have had over the years and I think every... And so I got a video camera here. I had a green screen from some some other time. So I sort of got everyone... It took quite a long time, as you can imagine, because I think it was about 20 minutes of questions for each of them. But things like, who was your first coach? Why are you playing hockey? Where did you come from? Tell us about your village. Tell us about your hometown tell us about your family, all those sort of things. And what I wanted to do was to, as I said, for me to get to know them and and understand them. And, of course, quite a fair few of them were in Hindi, so I had to also do some work on uh, (laughs) translating them, of course. But it was just fascinating to to hear some of them. And it probably changed halfway through because I really then wanted to everyone else to know these stories. I wanted everyone within the team. And again, it's never going outside these walls and we would only ever show it to us. And if you didn't even want to share it with the rest of the team, then they didn't have to. I wanted to have the bit of background on each of them. And then it basically, the idea was that we would edit those and then show them before the Olympics and, and everyone could, could understand, ah, this is why, this is the where, where we come from and everything. So it was a bit of filling in time. It gave me a chance to get to understand um, the players. Yeah, it was a great experience. And, of course, they end up with a video that, that they have at home now for, with their families and that's a very nice uh, memento for, for that period. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They also go home with a nice memento, which is an Olympic bronze medal. And it was a, you broke a 41-year year drought to get that medal you know, for Indian hockey in Tokyo. And it must have been particularly rewarding given that you had to build that team during lockdown. I'm wondering, as you look back on the result and you sort of reflect on it, is there a moment or an event that sort of clicked and you pushed the team forward where you started to think, oh, maybe we've got something here? Again, it's always hard to nail it down to a specific thing. There's never a certainly think if you take that period of time and, and to be honest, I was reading an article the other day about it saying that it's actually a real thing that people can't remember between March 20 and March 21. Like it sort of all blurs into one. So if I take that as the single event, the lockdown, I think that had a major effect on us. And I was telling the guys 
when we were able to train, and we were obviously able to train quite a lot during that period, but also we had a lot of time where we were stuck inside our rooms and we couldn't even leave our rooms at, at one point there. So I kept saying to them, look, understand that when a group of people goes through something like this together, it will bond us. And that was sort of, I kept mentioning it and mentioning it all the way through that period and, and, and in the Olympics as well is, is, look, when the chips are down, when the pressure is on, these connections that we've all made during this period are going to come out. And sure enough, I think there were a number of times that we were tested during during the Olympic campaign. And I think, yeah, that time together, and I, I can't imagine another group of people staying together that long and we're without their families. And it was quite a, a tough period for everybody. And I mean, it, lots of people went through it in the world and that, that was the other part. But the good part was that we were able to do it together. And I think that helped bond us together. Well, that team lost, unfortunately, to Belgium and that yeah. pushed them into the bronze Belgium. medal match against Germany. But I read a really yeah. interesting yeah. quote from you about that, actually. And you were saying that it was very easy to motivate them because of the next thing mentality the team had been working on. And I really wanted to ask you about that. What was this next thing mentality that you were working on? Yeah, it's interesting. We coaches tend to put little acronyms and things around specific ideas just so that to give someone a handle. And, and yeah, I start calling it next thing mentality because it's very simple. It's, it's sports psychology 101. It's, it's uh, focused back on, on the next task all the time. And during a game, that's the next skill, uh, the next pass, the next tackle, the next shot. But of course, between games, it's okay, what's next? Who's next? Right, we've lost the semi final. Now the, the next thing is, is our bronze medal. And mixed with that, with all the, a couple of the guys had been through experiences of, of losing semi finals and, and then losing the, the third and fourth. So it was pretty easy to, to tap in on that. I, I gave them my example in Seoul where we lost our semi final and then lost the bronze medal. And there's nothing, nothing really, unfortunately, so spectacular about it. It certainly helps. I find, I think, one of the most common things, and you see it in every sport, they're just worried about what's just happened. I just missed my shot. I just missed, missed that trap. I Whatever. I missed that goal. People get caught back in their heads you know, thinking about what could have been instead of focusing on the next task. So that was the story behind that one. Graeme, another quote from you, actually, if I could. And you say, I'm definitely a relationship coach. Having relationships with each of these players is what's really important so that when the chips are down, those things can come to the fore. And I really wanted to ask you, how does being a relationship coach distinguish you from someone who isn't? Mm, That's a good question. I think from memory, that quote, I had just joined the Junior World Cup group. So it was after the Olympics and I joined the, the Junior World Cup. I think that I'm definitely a relationship coach was perhaps a bit more in that specific uh, project, if you like, to help out that group. But I also think think that it's probably one of the most important things these days to because it's those connections that you have that you know when you need to. I think it was in Habits, Seven Habits, uh, Stephen Covey, he talks about having a bank balance, an emotional bank balance with people. If you have a debit in, in your emotional bank account with someone, then you can be really hard on them or you can be whatever you need to do to, to get something working. And so I always think of that whenever you are, whenever the chips are down, you need some positive bank balance in that emotional corner for you. And, and I think that's what 
relationships do. You get that trust. You understand where they're coming from. They understand what I need or what I want from them. Yeah, I think everyone these days has to have a form of relationship coach in them. You know, I think those days have gone where, where you can just sit up and be the school teacher and top-down approach. So, And I think that's probably where that comes from. You've spoken a few times about the link between confidence and the flourishing of your players and that this confidence will help counter the team fade-outs in performance, which I think is a really interesting link. And I wondered if you could share a story of how you've worked with an athlete or a team to lift their confidence and ultimately their performance. I know you've had Rick on your podcast before. I'm sure he probably would have mentioned it, but there's a, a German Dietrich somebody. He had a quote called, comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. Yes, it rings a bell. And I think for me, that's a really important part of it is it's about some players need you to, to, to comfort them because they're struggling with form or, as you say, confidence and all that sort of thing. But of course, there's the other part where people are, are comfortable and so you need to, to trouble them, get them a little bit uncomfortable about where they are in the team and, and how things are going. A lot of people talk about confidence players. Some, oh, he's a confidence player, she's a confidence player or what have you. Not a big fan of it because I always think that confidence is means that if you're lacking confidence, it means you, you're not working hard enough. And, and that's not true, of course, in, in every case. But I certainly think that if you are lacking confidence in a particular area, then, then I think the best way to get out of that is longer term is to make sure that, that you can do that skill when under pressure. But having said that, it's also really important to help a specific player to overcome their, their confidence levels. As far as a team is concerned, sometimes you have to do that like overnight, for example. A perfect example was during the Olympics, we lost to Australia actually 7-1. And that was a really quite an interesting time within the group. But again, now you know the background of those other, those the stories and the resilience that I talked about. This was one of the times where that came to the fore. One simple way that I use it is a thing called the, the goal opportunity total. And it's a, it's a different way of looking at your score of your game, for example. So every goal opportunity that we create and the opposition create sign a qualitative number between one and five to them. So we might create 20 opportunities in a game. One of them, you, have, you might have 10 ones, two threes, and a couple of fives, for example. You end up with a total. So you have a total for and you have a total against. And that has nothing to do with the actual score itself. What it allows you to do is to actually go back and look at the quality of your opportunities you created and also against. And so when we did that, and I knew that straight after that particular game, that it was not a 7-1. You could play that game three or four times again and with that a much better result from our point of view, 3-2, 4-3, that type of scoreline rather than the 7-1. So those sort of things where you can take an objective empirical look at something which can also help you lift a team. We, had, we did the same with the Dutch. We played, I was with the Dutch team at that time and we got beaten 5-0, I think, from memory, by the Belgians in the round game. And it was not a 5-0 game according to the GOT score. The GOT score was much more or even. And of course, after the game, you tell the players this, that, hey, look, yeah, we lost 5 mil, but they hit every single shot in the, in the net. And of course, we came out and won the European Cup against Belgium with a similar got score at the end, which was interesting. So there you go, you have, you have a 5 nil and 3-2 win. 
And Graham, you, you called it a GOT score. What does that stand for? Yeah, goal, opportunity, total. And Rick probably also, well, he talks about it in his last book, but we sort of came up with that concept of, yes, in such low-scoring games like hockey and football or soccer, you can get carried away with a 1-0 win or a 1-0 loss or a 2-0 loss and all this, you know, the world's going to fall over. But in, in, in reality, if, if you've got things that you can look at and count, then, yeah. And so we ended up with something like 10 years or nine years of data and what it came down to was that a got score of 20 meant one goal. That's for every team. That doesn't matter whether you are playing the best team in the world or, or not. Over time, it will go to 20 to one goal. If you win the game 60 to 20, then, then the game probably should be 3-1. That's the concept behind it. But the real concept behind it is you use those things when you need to, you know, to build that confidence back up. Or the other way, if you're trying to trouble the comforted, which is what happened after 2014, I took over from Rick. We'd won the grand final, or the, sorry, the World Cup 6-1 against Holland. And my first meeting as, as the new coach after taking over from Rick was showing them the got scores from our previous five or six encounters with Holland and that they were all very similar. The actual goal, the, the got scores were similar, but the results were not. Normally, it was a little like one all, the Dutch beat us once, one nil, two all, three all, that type of score. So again, hey, don't get carried away with the 6-1 boys. It was a much closer game than perhaps it looked like. Graham, I've got this quote again where you say, the biggest challenge as a player is to remain focused on the job at hand. The first game brings with it a number of emotions. The player who can control those emotions and stick to the game plan will be ahead. Which leads me to ask, what are your top tips on helping your athletes learn to control these emotions so they can perform when it matters most? I think I would have to say see answer above. (laughs) That next thing mentality I think is a perfect way of, of being able to control your emotions because it's the thought of what just happened that often will send those emotions flying. And if you have a particular task that you now have to focus on, then it makes it perhaps a lot easier to control those emotions because you now have a job, you have a task. To be honest, I only sort of realised this later, but any of the teams that I coach, we play pressing a lot. We, we play a high press and we, we, we get pressure out onto the opposition. And one of the positive parts about that is, is that is you actually have to be doing stuff. You've got to be out and about and in the opposition's you know, space and you can't be just sitting back lulling them into a false sense of security. And so what happens is if you, for example, fall back and do a half-court press, for example, often you are just getting back into your own head and getting out and doing stuff. In the big games, if you've got tasks to to do and you're getting out and and about, then it it certainly makes you a lot easier or it makes it it a lot easier to focus on what you've got to do next rather than letting the emotions take over. And a lot of people talk about it now with mindfulness and about being present. So those sort of things I think are also important. What about your kids? I know you've got two, Scott and Emma. I don't know whether what relationship you have with them. I don't know whether they come to you for... Any kind of advice, whether it's about leadership or life, but when they do, or if they have, what would you tell them? For me, leadership, well, first of all, it's lonely. It's a lonely business being head coach or the CEO or or whatever it is. And so first of all, get comfortable with be happy in your own skin and trust your judgments, I think is really important. 
when I look back and think that's one of the things that I definitely believe in is, is that good leaders have to be brave and you can't be worried about what may happen if this doesn't or that doesn't. You just have to trust what your, your judgments. Something else that I also is vulnerability and showing your own vulnerability. I have a big believer in that. I think it, it certainly builds trust and certainly the old-fashioned way was definitely not to show that, but I think it's become part of what we need to do now. Be true to yourself and your values. Don't be something that someone else wants you to be. Don't be the, the previous managers or the previous coach. You don't want to you don't want to be them. You want to be yourself. And I, and I think that's what I learned hard way over the years. You've been so generous with your time, Graham, on a Sunday. So maybe just one question to finish up. And when you do finish coaching, whenever that is, hopefully it's uh, long into the future, when you hang up that whistle, is there a particular legacy either through physical manifestations or through more of an emotional impact on the people around you that you hope you've left? Yeah, I heard your other podcast. I thought this would be coming, the, the legacy question. I don't normally sort of think of, thing, of things like that, but maybe it's it's my the values that I have. I like to think that I, I have I'm able to have imparted those on um, all the players or at least a great number of players that I've been involved with. But be honest, be brave. And and it was very nice that Billy Bucker, who used to be the captain of the Dutch and also my Amsterdam team when when I coached over there. And and one of the Indian press asked them, you know, what about Graham Reid? And and, and he, he gave the quote of that you have to be prepared to lose to win he always sort of remembered that that's what I said you've got to be brave you've got to be get out there and you and you've got to be prepared to lose it all to be actually to be able to win and and so that's something that I think is really important I'm always on about team first so for me thinking of others and don't be selfish is something that I really you know to me you need that in a team you need that that ability to think of others first and I think that's what team sport sort of brings you up to do and probably the dedication and the hard work it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get success but i think dedication and hard work will certainly help in whatever area you are trying to to achieve in and of course the other big one which is perhaps an aussie trait which i I like to think that i always and that's keep fighting until the end you never give up and that would be nice if that's what the players said that they they learned from me oh graham it's i'm so glad i finally chased you down it's been a great interview and i (laughs) want to wish you all the best on the road to Paris and what I hope will be a different colour medal for you and the team. Yeah, but well, let's uh, take it one step at a time, as the, the coaches would say. <laughs> but no, thank, thanks again, Paul. I love your podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here, and you've been listening to the great coach, Graham Reed. Some of Graham's thoughts and ideas that resonated with me were how what holds back elite athletes is having a fixed mindset and not being open to learn. The need to be mindful of success as it seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. His views that great coaches surround themselves with people who compliment them and do not walk past behaviors that are inconsistent with their team's expectations. And wanting to leave a legacy of having helped people be brave and honest with themselves. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Mads Clausen, who said, thanks for a great podcast. Thanks, Mads. 
The interaction with people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any feedback or comments or would like to join us for a discussion for a future episode, please let us know. And all the details of how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.